Hi, I'm Beck Rayner and this is the Military Wife Life Podcast, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, supports and embraces the women behind the military men by building connections, acknowledging our strength, focusing on self-care and our mental health. Let's do this together. This episode of Military Wife Life is proudly brought to you by Defence Bank. Serving those who protect us, Defence Bank have the largest on-base branch network with 37 locations around Australia. They have Army, Air Force and Navy covered. To find your closest branch, visit defencebank.com.au. Well, welcome back to the Military Wife Life podcast. Thanks for coming on. Hi. You and your husband have been together for a fair few years. Can you tell me uh, how long you've been together and how you guys met? I think it's about 22 years and we are the cliche, I met him at the pub. At the time when you met, did you know he was in defence? Um, he, had he already joined? What was his situation? He was already in the army and he told me that he was a soldier and I had no idea what that meant. And I was like, oh, okay. So you'd yeah. never been around other people in defence or no. had a crowd that were army, anything like that? Not at all. In saying that, your husband's in the army. Can you tell us what he does and whether it takes him away a fair bit? What does his job entail? So he's in Armoured Corps and he's an armoured vehicle crew commander. So can you tell us what the near future is like the hold in regards to postings or deployments? In January, he's got a posting that's just for 12 months. So he's going unaccompanied and the kids and I will stay in Brisbane. And have you Hopefully guys done we'll that before? Very briefly a few years ago. When you did MWDU the 12 years ago, was it a positive experience? And are you going into this lot with a positive mindset or what was it like the first yeah. time you did it? Our kids were a lot younger, so it was really hard. But we knew then it was only for a limited amount of time as well. So I was just waiting to get a transfer with work or to work out what I was going to do. And then we all moved down. This time, the job is only in that location for a year. And then he should be coming back to Brisbane at the end of the year. So we've yeah. got kids in high school and it's just not worth upsetting everybody. So what kind of plan of attack are you going into it for the 12 months? Do you have like a couple of trips planned to see him or are you going to make the most of the other location? What are you sort of planning? Absolutely. I have big intentions of going to Melbourne to do some shopping and go to the Australian Open and all that sort of stuff. But also the job that he's doing will spend a lot of time in Brisbane. So we're hoping he'll be home a bit as well. So what was your initial introduction to Defence Life like back when you guys met? What was it like going into that world? It was quite funny. So we went out a week after we met, we went on a proper date and I'd seen him a couple of times. And then he said, oh, I'm going to Townsville to go bush for three weeks or six weeks or something and I thought oh okay radio and then I thought after a week I thought I haven't heard from him and a couple more weeks passed and I still hadn't heard and I thought oh I guess that's the end of it and then I got a phone call on this random Sunday and he goes oh, I'm back and I was like what do you mean you're back he goes oh we just got off the bus we're just back from bush and I was like oh and he goes oh can I come over and I went okay and um yeah that was my introduction I had no idea that when they went away there was no phone like back then there was no phone calls there was no taking your mobile out bush there was just nothing until they got back. The next time I did go out with him and all of the people, they were all like, oh my God, he hasn't shut up talking about you. Did you have any expectations of what defence life would be like in those early stages before you knew what it was actually like? No, not really. And 
we were very spoilt because we were in Brisbane. He was posted to a Brisbane unit. My family were all here. So my life just went on as normal. And then it wasn't until after we had a baby and were posted to Townsville. He was posted to Townsville and we moved up there that I realised what I was in for <laughs> because back then Townsville was so busy. He'd been to Timor when it first blew up and then they were all just all about getting ready to go to Timor again and they were the ready battalion or the ready brigade or whatever it was called back then. And so they were constantly out field. They'd go bush for six weeks at a time and you wouldn't get a phone call. And here I was with this 12-week-old baby in a new place. I didn't know anyone. I thought, what have I done? (laughs) So you went from being, you know, just having this added bonus of having a boyfriend slash partner and yeah, life as normal. And then went with the partner to another location and then all of a sudden he's gone and busy and yeah, you're left holding the baby literally. Yeah. So what did you do during that time to, I guess, find friends and really step into defence spouse life because it was really your first real taste of it? Well, I decided that I should go back to work. So the baby was about six months old and I thought, I'm going to go back to work. I worked for a bank and they had a part-time option. So I went back to work and I thought, I'll meet people. I'll get to know people because I loved my workmates in Brisbane. I thought, oh, this would be great. So I went back to work. And then put the baby in daycare and he got every bug that was going around. He was sick all the time. And of course, I didn't have anybody to help. And my workmates were not impressed that I was this new person. I hated Townsville. My husband was away all the time and I was calling in sick all the time because my baby was always sick. So I lasted about six months at that job. And then I left and got a job somewhere else. And all of the staff there were from out of town. None of them were Townsville locals. They'd all come from somewhere else. And they were just beautiful and they looked after us so well. They, If Shane went out bush, they would have us all over for dinner and they'd look after the baby and it just changed everything. I didn't really get involved in the defence community because I worked and not many spouses with kids worked back then. And the few times I did go to things, I'd get comments like, I could never leave my baby in daycare and go to work. I didn't have a child for other people to raise them, all oh this gosh. sort of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> So I guess finding the right job is really about finding the right group of defence spouses as well or the the right group of friends. Like it just takes putting yourself out there again and again until you find the right fit. Absolutely. And over time I did meet other wives and they never went to any of the things either because they worked too. So it took time, but I did meet them and get to be quite good friends. And then by the time my husband deployed for the second time, I did have these connections and I did have people that I knew and we would, you know, take the kids to McDonald's after work together and we'd go to each other's houses on the weekends and have, you know, takeaway nights and stuff. And our kids all played together. Which makes the experience a totally different experience. Absolutely. What have been your past postings? Like in general, what's been the timeline of where you've been? And The first posting to Townsville was for four years. Then we came back to Brisbane for two years. And then we went to Pakapanyo for two years. And then back to Brisbane for three and a half years or something. And then back to Pakapanyo for two years. And now we've been in Brisbane for eight years. Back and forth, back and forth. But awesome that you have been able to go back to, I guess, family and then also locations where you may have had previous connections. How has it been like going back and forth to those locations? Have you sort of 
fitted back in or how's it sort of worked each time? It's been so lucky. Um, We've lived in the same area every time. Our kids all went to the same schools and there's one teacher at the school that all three of my kids have been taught by, which is just amazing. (laughs) And often we've got, we've had friends who were here and then they left and came back. And because we've been here for eight years this time, we've had a lot of friends come and go and we're kind of the continuity. (laughs) So it's it's good. And so Um, what has been your mindset with going to all those locations every few years? Have you just embraced it? You've had an open mind. What have you sort of done to sort of, I guess, cope with leaving jobs finding jobs, houses, friends. The first time we went to Pakapanyal, I was very reluctant to go because I'd heard all the horror stories. No one ever tells you the good stories. Everybody tells you the bad stories. So I was very reluctant to go to Paka. I applied for this job with Defence and I thought if I get this job, I'm going to pack up and I'm going to go to Paka. I'm going to love it. And I got the job. So I left my job. I was working for the Queensland government by then. I'd left my Queensland government job and went to Paka to work for Defence. And the first day we drove through the front gate and um, it was the middle of the drive out it was just barren there was no grass there was half dead kangaroos and I thought oh god (laughs) what have I done (laughs) but um you know it took no time at all puck is very social so you are having social events every month and everybody mixes and everybody knows everybody's business but it's also such a great environment for little kids yeah a real community feel and something that you don't get in every location in regards to you know DHA places being spread out now and they're not being typical patches anymore and stuff like that no. I, I hear that it's sort of is that real defense community up there it really is and it's on base housing so I could see my house from my work I could walk to work so if the kids walked home from school it was okay because I was you know literally 200 meters away there's yeah. really nowhere else like it left and how did you go leaving there by the end of the two years, I was ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> that bit about I said where everybody knows everybody. Yeah. After two years, you're like, okay, let's go back to the real world. Need but, a bit um, of breathing room. Yeah. And so I've really never hesitated to move. Plus, we always had a plan that we would come back to Brisbane. We'd go away, then come back. And that's the nature of my husband's job, that there was always a position in Brisbane. His job is a bit limited where you can go. So, How did you envision life and career working alongside Defence? Did you Were you just open to getting jobs wherever you went or did you find a job that you really loved and were sad to leave? How did it work with JobWise? So since I started working for Defence, I've managed to get a job wherever we were posted. And um, I'm a pretty easygoing person. And with Defence, there's certain skills that I developed that you could use everywhere. So I wasn't starting all over again. And it was all familiar and it was things that I knew. And because I'd been in so many locations, there's actually stuff that I knew that people didn't do in other locations and then I could show them. So all of a sudden I became this person who was an expert at something. So like you've picked up skills along the way that have end up, ended up, I guess, coming all together to really help in the job that you've got. Yeah. So I've had a few jobs that I absolutely love. And um, I've worked for Army since 2010. And I actually love working for Army. They're very good to me. Working with soldiers, you know, if you upset them, they tell you and then they get over it and you'll move on. So in saying that, you're not like over it by the time like your husband comes home and tells you about his day, like it's Army, Army, Army. Like It is a bit. For a while there, we were working in similar environments and I had to limit him to two questions a day or to two things a day. (laughs) 
<laughs> because otherwise I never got away from it. And for a couple of years I worked for people that knew him and they were all like every day I was referred to as Mrs. Him and there was lots of never how are you, it was always how's him and I was like, yeah, I've had enough of you people. <laughs> Since we've been in Brisbane, I've actually changed jobs three times and been able to advance because we've been here for, for eight years. So I've been able to advance and get into a position that I really love and um, nobody there knows who my husband is, so it's really yeah. good. So you are like nearly at the elusive point of getting long service leave for a defence house. Had, that sounds crazy. I've actually had long service leave. Oh, my gosh. And money in your worked. superannuation account. I know because I've worked for defence since 2007, so I was able to take long service leave a few years ago. Um, it came in very handy. And so I guess going on to a completely different topic, your husband has been deployed a few times and during one of those deployments he was diagnosed with cancer of all things can yes. you talk us through how that even happened like was he having symptoms like what happened for him to be diagnosed with cancer while he was deployed he is the typical person who just pushes through and pushes through we went to a family day at his unit and the CEO got up to make a speech and he said, I've just been told that we'll be deploying. It was the deployment into Iraq with all the ISIS stuff that had happened. We're going to Iraq. Just been told the advance party will be leaving in two weeks. And I looked at my husband and him and all of his mates who were giving each other the wink and the thumbs up because I knew they were going and I thought, okay, it's on. That and, must have been um, a great family day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the CEO was very excited. Yes. Yeah, so we knew this was happening. So he very quickly went and did force preparation training and within two weeks they were gone. And he rang me and he said, oh, I don't know what's wrong. He said, I had such back pain on the flight over. And I thought, oh, this is not good. And then he rang me again and he was, a few days later and he was like, oh, it's still not good. I'm going to go and see the medics. So I went to see the medics and being army medics, they said, we think you're constipated. So take this stuff and see if that clears you out. So he took the stuff and it didn't make any difference. He still had the pain. And by this stage, he'd been there for maybe three weeks and the pain was just getting worse and worse. So there was a, an Air Force nurse and she said, I think you need more tests. So she got the doctor to send him to a hospital in Dubai and he went to this hospital in Dubai and they did a whole lot of tests and he was in there for a week while they tried to work out what was wrong. And they diagnosed him with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a blood cancer. At the time, were they keeping you informed or were you just back home waiting for a call? Like I was just back home waiting for a call. So I got one call from over there from a doctor who was, I think she was an Air Force doctor as well. She rang me on Anzac Day and she said, oh, we're taking your husband to hospital. We think that maybe he needs to have his spleen out. So I'll ring you this afternoon and I'll let you know for sure what's happening. I never heard from her again. When Shane was admitted to hospital, nobody told me. Um, nobody contacted us at all. His unit here also didn't know. His CO didn't even know where he was because half of them were in Iraq and half of them were still in Dubai at AMAB waiting to go into Iraq. So when he was finally diagnosed, he was told what it was. He went back to the hospital at AMAB and from there he actually phoned my mum and he got mum to come over. And then when my mum was here, he Skyped and he told me what was going on. He was worried about me being by myself when I found out. So got my mum to come over. So he was going to wait until he got home to tell me. But one of his friends said, you cannot tell her at the airport. Oh, I'm home because I've got cancer. So yeah. yeah, so by this stage, he was in a whole lot of pain. He was not in a very good way at all. Where it was in his abdomen, it was wrapped around like a cluster of nerves. So he was in a whole lot of pain. So then we had to wait to find out when he was coming 
coming home. And I don't know if you remember, there was a earthquake or a landslide or something in Nepal. So the plane that was supposed to bring him home got diverted to take aid to Nepal. And there was just sort of one thing after another. And then finally, I rang the welfare officer at his unit and I said, look, you need to find out. I've had enough. I want to know what's going on. And um, he was a really lovely man. And it was about 11 o'clock at night. And he said, look, I will find out for you. And he did everything he could to find out. And the communication was just very poor because the deployment was so new. Things weren't set up properly. It was just a nightmare. But eventually, probably about a week later, he did come home. They set up a C-17, like a hospital for him. He was in a really bad way by then. Flew him home and an ambulance met him. The airport took him straight to the hospital and I met him at the hospital. So, I mean, you mentioned that it was wrapped around some nerves or giving him pain because of that. And I guess in some sense, it was lucky that it was where it was because it was causing him the back pain. If it was something that didn't put pressure on another area it might not have been picked up absolutely and it's really funny there's a photo that we took as a family the day that he deployed and his stomach is like normal and flat and then there's a photo they took of him when they picked him up from hospital someone took a photo and his stomach is huge and it's like this big balloon of um tumor it's just incredible how quickly it came on and how um, aggressive it was and it happened at that time while he was deployed you're like are you kidding yeah me? we have a couple of different theories about what may have triggered it before you deploy you have a whole lot of vaccinations that could be one thing because if your lymphatic system System where the cancer was and as you know that filters out if you get sick or anything it's your lymph glands that swell up and um, yeah. but we don't know so what was it like during that time being apart and then the communication not being great like you're at home with what ages are your kids by that stage they were 15 11 and 6 yeah so did you keep it from them because 11 and 15 year olds are and even six-year-olds are quite cluey. Were you just not letting them in on any info or what were you doing? Hey, Military Wife Life community. I wanted to take this opportunity to tell you a little bit about the Defence Bank Foundation and the great work they're doing in the defence community. The foundation raises funds to support serving and ex-serving ADF members living with injuries or illnesses such as post-traumatic stress disorder. In 2019, the sole beneficiary of the foundation was the Defence Community Dogs Program, a specialised dog training program which rescues abandoned dogs and trains them through correctional services. 40 service dogs have been trained and given to veterans since the Defence Bank Foundation was established. The program gives dogs, inmates and veterans a second chance at life. I told them he was coming home and I told them what was wrong. I just sort of, I told them one at a time. So what I told the 15-year-old was much more detailed than what I told the 11-year-old or the six-year-old. Dad's six years of age. They understand that dad's not well and he's going to come home. And that's all he needed to know. But the 15-year-old, he needed to understand what was going on. He gets home and then what happens? He was admitted straight into hospital and he spent probably three or four weeks in hospital before he was allowed to come home for a few hours and then he had to go back to hospital. I think he was probably in hospital for two weeks before they started giving him chemo. He had to have a lot more tests and they had to try and get his pain and everything under control before they could start the treatment. What were you feeling when you finally saw him after, I guess it would have felt like 
years by the time he came back. It was a big relief. The oncologist we had, and he still is his treating doctor, he was just amazing. Defence organised all of his medical care and Dr Grimes was his oncologist and he met us in emergency at the hospital that day and he said to me then, he said, don't worry, chemo will fix this. And I trusted him and um, everything he said came true. So how long was the process of treatment and what did you have to do in regards to that? Obviously, Um, he's going away for deployment and you've prepared yourself that he's going to be away for however long he's going to be away for. A couple of weeks into it, he's then sick and you're not sure what's going on. Then he's coming back. So your mindset would have been, I'm going to be without him for this amount of time to turning to his back sick I've got kids, quite a sick husband, job. Like how were you juggling it all at that time? The way that his treatment worked, he had two weeks in hospital where he would have really intense chemo where he got given a certain amount every day for so many days and then they would give him a different drug to obviously stop that and then he'd have a few more days and he'd have another drug and so it was very intense so he'd have that and then he'd come home for a couple of days and then on those days he was at home he would go to the cancer clinic every day and then he would go in for the next type so there was type a and type b so type a wasn't as bad type b was a shorter stay in hospital but much more intense so that went on for six rounds he ended up spending probably seven months in hospital all up. Man, it would have been easy to have a deployment with three kids at home. (laughs) Yeah. Much would have preferred to go through seven months of loneliness and three kids at home than far out all of that. Yeah. Um, We were lucky. His unit were very good. They gave me the CO's driver and I would just phone him up and he would come and pick me up and drive me to the hospital then come back and pick me up no matter how late at night it was or what was going on. He was at my beck and call and actually got to be quite good friends with all the different drivers and everything because they'd get in they didn't know what was going on they just knew that they had to drive me so it was always funny to have a chat to them and um so we had that help from the unit which was great but a few weeks in it was just overwhelming and I thought I don't know what to do (laughs) I can't handle it all I can't look after the kids I can't I I was still going to work I can't maintain the house and when Shane did come home he had no immune system so the house had to be clean and so a very good friend of mine who is very well connected in the defence community, put a post on a Facebook group and said, you know, this is this person's situation, we need a bit of help. And our defence families rep got in touch with me, the one for our area. At the time, that was Kate Watch. And Kate was fantastic. She spoke to the people at DCO. She spoke to the defence special needs people. She spoke to the brigade commander, whoever she needed to talk to. She did. And we all of a sudden, we had help falling from the sky. So we had DCO organised for a cleaner to come every Friday and clean my house. So if Shane was coming home, the house would be done. I didn't have to worry about it. We had all these offers to mow our lawns and all this sort of stuff. Another beautiful woman organised a meal roster and people bought meals to the house. I didn't know (laughs) would just rock up to my house with a lasagna or one woman made a beautiful roast and biscuits for the kids lunches and all this like it was just amazing people just rallied around us Shane's case manager defense appointed case manager if you have a big illness or an incident or whatever she was amazing Um, she organized to get our parking reimbursed and whatever we needed she did for us she was just amazing but until I asked I didn't know that all of this help was available 
And how hard was it just to let go a little bit and put your hand up? Oh, it's very hard. (laughs) I don't ever ask anybody for anything. So I found that just even admitting and going, oh, look, I'm struggling with all of this is difficult. And, you know, there are some people who would, who made inappropriate comments at that time. There was a certain brigade welfare officer who said, well, he was deployed when he got sick. So you should be right. You shouldn't need any help. What has that got to do with it? I know, right? What? Because I said to him, I said, yeah, this is his fourth or fifth deployment or whatever it was. I said, mate, it's got nothing to do, you know. If he was yeah. still in the Middle East, I wouldn't be at a hospital every night, would I? Yeah, that's right. back down and was very quiet. A fairly traumatic situation really showed you what the defence community is all about, really. Oh, yeah. Stuff like the day after we found out, I sent a message to one of Shane's good mates and he, I said, look, I want you to know that this is what's happened. You're going to hear about it from elsewhere, I'm sure, but this is the actual story. And he rang me straight away and he said, okay, do you want me to tell people? And I said, yes. And he goes, okay, I'll tell who needs to know. And then I, all of a sudden I had soldiers coming to visit me at work. I had people mowing my lawn. One poor guy mowed a neighbor's lawn. <laughs> because <laughs> she went to the wrong house and then came yeah. down to mow your lawn yeah 10 minutes oh, well. later he knocked on my door and he and I was at the house up the road I said, yeah I thought that was your car whoever that neighbor was really won the lotto that day yeah <laughs> at that time like you mentioned if you hadn't have asked for the help you wouldn't have known you know what the community was capable of really no and I had no idea that all this help existed, that someone would come and clean your house for you or that you can get your parking reimbursed for all of those trips to the cancer clinic because in between hospital stays, we had to go to the clinic every day and we would be there for eight plus hours every day. And I mean, at that time, if your husband wasn't in defence, can you imagine what it would have been like without the support of, I guess, someone organising the medical side of oh. things and all of that community support around you? It would have been an absolute nightmare we did not have to worry about money my pay was reduced I took a bit of leave without pay but you know my husband's pay continued every fortnight stuff like one night we were at the cancer clinic and it was late and he needed this special medication and they said to me can you go to the pharmacy and get it our pharmacy's closed and so I went down to the pharmacy and I said look this is what I need and I thought I'll just pay for it and get reimbursed (laughs) and the woman said to me have you got his medicare card and I said oh he's a defense member and she goes do you have the Dan? And I'm like, what's a Dan? And she goes, oh, it's your special access number. And I went, oh, look, I'll just pay for it. How much is it? And she goes, oh, it's $500. And I went, okay, I'm not paying for it. Well, <laughs> So I rang the doctors and they ga- they had that number and they gave me the number and I gave it to her. Just things like that that we just didn't have to worry about. When you're diagnosed, the cancer council give you all, or the hospital gives you all these cancer council pamphlets and they talk about if you're going to need this, that or the other treatment, get on the waiting list now. We didn't have to get on any waiting lists my husband had all of his treatment in the private system and um, whatever he needed he got and I mean at the same time it's so heartbreaking to think that there are tons of people who have to get on that wait list it's horrific to think about it I don't know how people get by even just you know waiting for tests and things like waiting for a referral to a doctor like it's just ridiculous all the while stressing about what's happening with the medical situation and yeah what kind of and treatment you'll see, have to have and well seeing how fast my husband's symptoms escalated for him being perfectly normal to having stage three cancer he went through all of his treatments and then what happened does it just okay you're finished now you're all good what was his prognosis and um, what has to happen after you finish your initial treatments so he had 
two rounds of chemo and then the oncologist wanted to do a scan just to make sure it was working because if it was going to work it would work straight away they said so they did a scan and there was not one dot of cancer left in his body it had worked that well and that fast so that was great he was in full remission it was all good but he still had to finish the course of treatment so he still had to have four more rounds of chemo and that included not just like the one that they inject he also had to have lumbar punctures where they took out spinal fluid and put chemo in to make sure that it didn't spread to his central nervous system all this sort of stuff so he still had to finish all of that and then he had two years of like maintenance chemo where he would go in every month for one drug and then every three months for a different one initially when he finished the six rounds of chemo he wanted to go straight back to work and his army gp he was a lovely man he called us all in for a meeting and he wanted him to do the soldier recovery program and my husband didn't want to do that he said oh, i don't want to do that that's not for me i'm a warrant officer i'm not doing that yeah. and the doctor looked at me and he goes i need your help on this and i said look you just have to do it and the doctor said okay if you go and do three days a week at that you can go to your unit for the other days and we sort of bribed him and prodded and prompted him and he went and did it and he actually really enjoyed it they did a whole lot of stuff that was really beneficial he'd lost all of his upper body strength because obviously he'd had a seven kilo tumor in his abdomen so he couldn't do things like push-ups and sit-ups couldn't do them anymore so he went along and um, did the program, did the yoga and Pilates and all the good stuff that they do. Yeah. And then he went back to his unit and um, hasn't taken a backward step. I guess um, he just wanted to get back to work. But in saying that he reluctantly at first did the rehab program, I guess it might now give him a greater appreciation for other people doing the rehab program and how beneficial it is for people that are coming through that he's managing and that he's in, in charge of. Absolutely. At the time, a big thing that we talked about was um, if we didn't know that all of this help was available and that, you know, the SRC was so beneficial and all this sort of stuff, how does a really junior soldier get on who goes through a similar experience but doesn't have the same connections, doesn't have well-connected friends that can put out a call for help, you know, all this sort of stuff. It's pretty scary to think that there are people who will be struggling through all this now and not getting any help. Yeah. And as you know, when you first start off as a spouse or even as the defense member, you're feeling your way through and you don't necessarily have the confidence to put your hand up and ask the questions because you feel like, oh, I should know this or, you know, it's a silly question to ask or if something was available, they would tell me sort of thing. So so that was his big thing. He's always looked after his soldiers that worked with him. And um, I think this is just to enhance that. And he He's always made sure that people got the right help. And so I think this has just added to that. So how did he go returning to work once he did the rehab program? He went back to work. Was it just life as usual? or After the first seven months and then he did the SRC, then he went back to work as normal. Obviously, he was supposed to go at his own pace, but he just went back Monday to Friday, 7.34, like nothing had happened. So once you guys got back into the, I guess, air quotes, normal life and back into the flow of being a family together again and the sickness is under control, did he deploy again after that or was there no chance of him deploying? And I guess if he was deploying, how would you have felt going into that knowing that the last one wasn't a great outcome? It did take a few years for him to get medically upgraded. Obviously, he had to have clear scans and all that sort of stuff. And he had to build himself back up and pass all of his BFA and he did the PESA, which is 
the physical employment standards or something assessment, which is very hard, apparently. So he had to, you know, get himself fit again and do all those sort of things. Plus, he had to go through the two years of follow-up treatment and everything. And then he had to have finished that for a while before they would upgrade him. But he was upgraded last year. And technically, he could deploy. But where we are in Brisbane, they're coming out of that cycle. So there's not any chance of him deploying now. And um, if he were to deploy, I wouldn't be worried. I think it's just bad luck that it happened. And I've never worried about deployments. He's done a few. And so how were you feeling once all the medical stuff was sorted and he had a clean bill of health as as much as he can after what he's been through and obviously back at work? And did you have like a moment where you like just breathed a sigh of relief and thought, wow, that's been a tough couple of years. We're expecting the um, last couple of years to go like that. A whole lot of ladies that I was in a Facebook group with, defence spouses, all put in and gave us this money to go on holiday. So we had a beautiful couple of weeks at the beach at Noosa with our kids and it was just the most beautiful, relaxing time. We like did the national park walk and we sat around the pool and we had cocktails every day and all that sort of stuff just to unwind and I think we were all in a bit of shell shock for a while. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So now that you've been, I guess, in Brisbane for such a long period of time do you make use of any of the support groups or the community house or anything like that in regards to the defense community not really i am a big believer in the facebook group as you know i admin one of them with a friend so i'm a big believer that those groups fill a void they're the gap. So the people who go to work and the people who can't get out to the community events and stuff, they're in the Facebook groups yeah. and that's how they're meeting people and interacting and planning their own activities. So I yeah. have my group of spouse friends and we do all kinds of stuff together. We have movie date, we go to the gym together, all those kind of things that you do with your girlfriends. And it's just that our husbands are in the defense force as well. So when you initially set up the Facebook group, how did that come about? And like, can you talk to us about why you Um, felt there was a need for that sort of group? There's been a few groups for a a while, but the group was actually started by a friend of mine because she wasn't allowed to join another group. (laughs) So she thought, I'm going to start my own. And so she did. She started this group and um, there were very few rules, which she treated everybody like adults and people loved it and they kept joining. And we've got over 3,000 members now. It's not limited to any one service or anything like that. It pretty much runs itself. It doesn't matter what it is. I will ask in there because they're the voices of reason. They know everything. There's women in there who do everything. There's, you know, there's doctors, there's nurses, there's lawyers, there's stay-at-home mums, there's daycare teachers, school teachers, there's everything. Yeah. It's an awesome source. What have been the, some of the things that you've done to help yourself? You mentioned you've got a key group of people that you do things with. When your husband has been deployed in the past, what did you sort of do to make life a a bit easier with kids and working and juggling everything when he deployed the time before last i dropped back to four days a week at work and on the fifth day which was a friday my girlfriends whose husbands were all deployed at the same time we would spend that day together we would go out for lunch or we would go and get pedicures or we just go to each other's house for morning tea or whatever and just unload <laughs> talk about all the stuff that had happened that week and yeah but you recognized before your husband deployed that okay, in order to be able to get through this deployment, I need to put some things in place before he goes in order to be able to, I guess, have a positive experience as opposed to going into the deployment and then juggling everything and thinking, 
oh gosh, something's got to give and, you know, you're at breaking point. You recognise that you had to make some allowances for deployment. Yep. And I am a big believer in outsourcing. I am not afraid to get a cleaner or a mowing man or to order my groceries online or whatever I need to do. Um, Frozen food night was one of our favourites when the kids were younger and we'd have like chicken nuggets and two-minute noodles or whatever because it's so easy. You don't have yeah. to put any plan into it. Um, yeah, for sure. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> no one no one died from eating cereal for dinner. No, for sure. Yeah. It's actually you can turn it into a, a novelty really. And mental health-wise, do you do anything in particular to um, look after your mental health? I go to the gym three or four times a week. If I don't do that, I get a bit irritable and a bit annoyed. And I, I know that I need to go and do that and burn off some energy. and Get those good endorphins happening. Yeah, and just have that time to myself. So what have you learned along the way? You've been a defence spouse for a while now. You have been through various situations, postings, moving coming back to locations what have you learned that others might like to know that maybe are not so far into the journey are just starting if you were just starting go to the events meet the people like go to the play group go to the spouse nights because they are a great way to connect with people go to community events in your area about five years ago, a friend asked me if I wanted to go to Jazzercise. I had no idea what Jazzercise was. I went to Jazzercise. The instructor was a defence spouse and a whole lot of the people who went to the classes were defence spouses. And all of a sudden I had this whole new community of friends and those ladies saved my life. <laughs> but in saying that as well, it might not be the first thing you go to. Like keep, keep saying yes, even yeah. if you have an experience where you go to an event and you don't mesh with anyone it doesn't mean it's going to always be like that at every event or every family day or no. whatever it is like just keep putting yourself when, out there when your husband comes home and says oh you know tomo's invited us for a barbecue and you think i don't know tomo or his wife i don't want to go go because that is you might not like tomo and his wife but there's bound to be someone else there that you do like and that person could be your new best friend <laughs> the amount of people i met when i followed my husband along to a barbecue and i didn't know anyone I sat there in the corner for a good hour before I even dared to speak to anyone. I'm still friends with the people I met in those situations. So. Yeah. And especially like you're all in the same boat. Like you might feel really awkward going to it, but I'm sure there's other people that are also feeling the exact same way. And it just takes putting yourself out there and I guess sparking that conversation or having one thing in common or being able yeah. to laugh about the fact that your husbands are talking another language if you're just starting out and you don't understand <laughs> exactly what they're talking and how does that person get that nickname when their name doesn't even remotely relate to their name. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Beck. It's been so good to talk to you and hear about your uh, different experiences as a spouse. Yeah, I guess um, any parting words for us? Just ask for the help. Put your hand up and ask for the help is the thing. If something's going on and it doesn't feel good, tell someone. Because there is, you don't know who they know or what they can do. Yeah, for sure. Or even if they just listen, can make it extremely better. Yes. I so hope you were able to relate or take something away from today's episode. There are definite ups and downs to military life, but let's get the conversation happening so we can see that we are all in this together. We are all just doing our best. So until next week, you got this. Let's do this together one day at a time. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this episode has touched you, helped you, or given you that extra confidence to keep going, to continue to hold down the home front, to continue to do all the things, 
I would so appreciate it if you could pop into Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, a comment about what you would like to hear more of, or just some encouraging words. If you want to suggest a guest, I am always looking for new people to talk to. You can do that by jumping over to the website www.militarywifelife.com.au and clicking on our podcast page. I would love to hear from you. 